I want to begin this morning by sharing with you some of my pet peeves as they relate to wedding receptions today. Uh, Usually I wouldn't get to go into something like this, but Shannon's out of town. So let's have some fun, right? My filter's gone. That's good. All right, so I love the ceremony because I control the ceremony and I like my ceremony. But once the ceremony's over, we roll over into uh, reception territory and, and I become a grumpy old curmudgeon. And so I usually don't go to them, but I went to one recently. It's very typical of modern receptions today. One of the things that I've noticed is that the best man's toast has been replaced with the best man's speech, right? You've seen this? Like these things get really, really long. Now, the one I was at recently, actually the best man kept it really tight. Affirm the relationship with the groom, really say some loving words towards the bride, bless your future together, and raise your glass to the bride and groom. It happened so fast, people didn't know. It's like, whoa, what, we're done? Like they didn't know. It's time. We're, we're there already? But you know how it is. What used to be the best man, to, now there's a strength, like now it's the maid of honor, right? So, she, so then she gets the mic and, and has pages, <laughs> right? We met in kindergarten, first grade, second grade. Are you good? It just goes on and on. Then mother of the bride takes over. She gets the mic as well. She's got more pages than the maid of honor. After that, the father of the bride Uh, Like me, he too is a pastor. And when you give a pastor a mic, buckle in, right? So that's what it is. And then then after that, they they said, okay, does anyone else have anything to say? We went to open mic time, right? And then at the end of the line, a lot of people said nice things. It was sweet. And then at the end of that, this uh, really old gentleman stood up and said, hey, I don't have anything to say, but I'll dance with the bride. Kid you not, walks forward to the dance floor, gets the bride, they play music, we all sit there. We's hungry. <laughs> all right? And we sit there and watch as they dance. It's like the, doesn't the groom do this? No, the grandfather. Okay, check. And so that, that's what's going on. Now, people are looking at me, and I'm like, listen, the ceremony's over. I have no power. I have no control. I can't fix this, right? And so it's going on. And, uh, and there's nothing wrong with any of that, really. It's their reception. If it blesses them, that's great. Most wedding receptions are like that today. But we are hungry at that point. After all, since the ceremony, we, we've been waiting two hours. You know how this goes. Pictures today, right? My fear is since this advent of both social media and the smartphone, that photos are not capturing life, they're corrupting life. And it happens at weddings as well. So you've got this two-hour wait, and then the speeches begin. And so I'm no rookie to this game. So when I show up to the reception, I try to sit up front. Because those are the tables that get released first to the meal, right? And so when I walk in, there's always this really long table right up front that no one's sitting at. I'm like, I'm the pastor. I can probably pull this thing off if anyone here can, right? I don't do it. I, I, I don't sit at the, the head table. But I am looking around because I'm like, we still have an hour and 55 minutes of pictures, right? So it's going to be a while. So there, uh, there's always a table up front. Those are the family tables, right? They're right up front. And, and they get released to the food line pretty quick too. So maybe I can hit one of those. And uh, I, I haven't done it, but I'm tempted. But you can imagine if I sat down at one of those, eventually somebody's going to come up to me and say, I'm sorry, sir. Uh, this is a family table. To which I'm going to say, we's all family. 
we're all related in one way, you know? No, no, sir, you don't understand. Now there's an elderly woman standing behind him. That's granny's seat. Now, am I going to kick granny to the curb? No, right? So I have to stand up. Now, everyone's sitting, right? Everybody has their seat. I have the walk of shame, right? Everybody sees me get kicked to the back, right? Cause, and granny, because I'm going, there's only one table left at the far back, right? In the corner. That's where granny was sitting when they went to her and said, hey, listen, granny, you don't sit back here. Come on, you're, you're the grandmother. You come on up here. And I go back there. Now I'm sitting. We get to the food last, and there's only bread and pasta left. You know how it goes, right? The filler stuff that you, if you're a veteran, you know to skip that, right? That's all that's left. Now, this is a scenario, this is not too dissimilar to a story that Jesus is going to tell, to tell today. We've been going through the Gospel of Luke. We come to chapter 14. We're going to start out in verse 7, and this is what we read there. Now, he told a parable to those who were invited. When he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him, and he who invited you both will come and say to you, give up your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, I taught you not too long ago that the principle of correct biblical interpretation is that context is king. So you're always looking for context. And your first line there is a hint. Now, he told a parable to those who were invited. That puts it in a particular setting. In the setting you find in the first six verses of chapter 14, what's going on is Jesus is at a Pharisee's house. It's Sabbath. Jesus, the traveling rabbi, likely taught in the the synagogue and was then invited back to dinner at the Pharisee's house. If you remember, the Pharisees are the super religious, self-righteous, ultra-elite kind of spiritual people. And so he goes and he eats at this guy's house. Now, while he's there, there is a guy there that has dropsy. And Jesus heals him. And of course, the Recurring objection. Whoa, whoa, time out. You can't heal on the Sabbath. Jesus is like, well, I did. <laughs> and, and, and so he, you end that section, and here's how it ends. And Jesus said to them, Which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Jesus, he's basically saying, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. Ha! I don't think Jesus said ha. I don't don't think so. But basically he's saying, listen, you you value an ox higher than a person. And and of course I've got, and so they couldn't even answer him after that, okay? And and that is at the end of that, and, and we are actually skipping that passage today. If you're kind of following along as we go through Luke, because Pastor Jared covered this passage already back on June 23rd when he talked about a very similar, a parallel passage. But that is the setting, that is the context. And so here Jesus is as a dinner party and he sees them jockeying for position, social status at the table. 
See, a first century wedding, or not just a wedding feast, but a, a dinner party, was all, they'd set up the tables in a U. And so there was a head table up front. And the host would sit right in the center. And the most honored seats or positions were to his right and to his left. And everything then was ranked by social status after that and going further and further from the host. And so you want to sit close to the host. You jockey for position. Pastor Matt Chandler down in Texas had this to say. It was pretty clever. He said, like the first guy comes in and he writes his name on a cup and puts it right on the left. And then the next guy comes in and takes the fork on the right and licks it. That's my spot, right? And then the third guy comes in and takes that cup on the left, moves it over one and sits down right there, right? That's what's going on. They're all jockeying for position. We go, well, that's dumb. Well, sure, it is to us today. But like we don't jockey for social status, right? With, with titles and cars and shoes and things like that. Social media, we're jockeying for social status all the time. We do that. We're doing that. Now Jesus is watching this go on at this dinner party, and he, it says, Luke writes, now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor. That's the context. You see it? And what he does in response is he tells this story, this parable, in which he gives some very solid social advice. Advice for social settings. And what it basically says is it's better to go low and get lifted up than to go high and get smacked down. Because when you get smacked down, you end up in a lower place than you would have otherwise. You see that in verse 9. It says you go to the lowest place. So the way this works is imagine the seats are ranked, one being the best and ten being the worst. And you come in and you sit in the one spot. Well, in the meantime, two through nine are filled in. Everyone says, and then the host says, the honored guest comes in. I'm sorry, you have to give up your one spot. Well, now where are you going to sit? Two through nine are already filled. You go to seat 11. There isn't a seat 11. <clears throat> so you, end, you know how it is at Thanksgiving when you've got the kids' table in the other room? You end up at the card table, right? That's where you end up sitting. If you had taken a four or a five, you might be there. Now you're at the kids' table. You go to the lowest spot. The, the point is that you've got to quit promoting yourself, lifting yourself up. Let others do that. And we don't jockey for positions at tables like that anymore. But what about at work? Think about the, the guy at work who is always printing his own press, promoting himself in a sense, uh, bragging about his performance. Listen, when that guy deserves, like let's say he deserves credit, you don't want to give it to him, right? There's another woman at your workplace, say, and she works hard, faithfully, but quietly. She doesn't say a word week after week, year after year. And you want to make up stuff to give her credit, right? Because you want her to have honor as a person and as an employee. That's the point here. That's the point. Don't promote yourself. Let others promote you. I, I want us to be a people who we just start singing other people's praises and watch what God does in our lives. Watch. It'll be beautiful. Now, that is very practical advice for social settings from Jesus. But it is a parable. It is meant to have a larger point, and I want to start to dig into that. Because Jesus doesn't want you to just know etiquette at a wedding reception. 
He's teaching about the kingdom of God. There is a broader principle here than just where you sit. And, and, and you see it there at the end. Jesus lands his story with kind of the moral of the story, a broader kingdom principle, and it's this. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. I remember this from wrestling. I, I grew up wrestling. That was my sport. Okay, don't give me that Nacho Libre stuff. That's not what I'm talking about, right? Like, any real wrestlers here? Anyone else wrestled back in the day? All right, I see some of you guys out there. You remember we were told to go low, right? Change levels? It's when you're shooting in for like a double leg or a single leg. You come in like this. You bend at the hips. Your head's out over your feet. You got, you're going to get humiliated, okay? You're going to get decimated. So what you're taught is you got to change levels. You got to go low. You drop and shoot, right? Change levels and shoot. I can't do that. My, my knees aren't so young, <laughs> It hurts, right? But you're supposed to change levels and go low. You've got to go low. You go high, you're going to get humiliated. You go low, you're going to be good. And that's the kingdom principle. What Jesus is saying is one of these is coming your way. Humility or humiliation. Humility or humiliation. And, and you've got to choose. One's coming your way. Humility is when you go low. You lower yourself. Humiliation is when you go high and you get lowered. You see that? One's done to you. One is something that you choose. If you humble yourself, you get exalted. If you exalt yourself, you get humiliation. If you embrace humility, then you will not experience humiliation. You've got to choose. And that stuff is all over the Bible. The, the amount of cross-references here will sink a ship. It is amazing. It's all over the Bible. You have to go low. That's the principle. Now, Jesus, with this one very efficient story, it, it, there's really kind of three issues that I feel like this hooks to as he talks about going low. And the first one is obviously talking about pride. Well, this one is perhaps the obvious one. And there's an obvious area where we talk about, you know, the issues of self-promotion and printing your own press and desiring recognition and being pompous, being a stuffed shirt. Don't be that guy. Are you in a high seat and you are looking down on all the little people in the world? Or are you, are you going low? Are you taking the posture like our Lord of a servant and you're lifting others up? Which is it? Are you going to go low? If you don't go with humility, you will experience humiliation. Go low. Now, that's the obvious route to go when we talk about pride, and it's really good stuff. It's all over the scriptures. But there's a couple other ways that this issue of pride goes that I want to get to. We get to one of them with this question. If Jesus were traveling through town, would you invite him over for dinner? Be careful. <laughs> Have you been paying attention in Luke? Like every time somebody invites him over for dinner, it doesn't go well for them, Right? Like, it's a very risky thing. Like, if, if my wife says, hey, I heard that, that traveling rabbi from Nazareth, I think his name's Jesus, he's coming through town, we should have invited him for dinner. No! I've heard the stories. I mean, it's a dangerous, dangerous thing. Here's the issue. Are you proud or humble? And the way you'll know, are you teachable or unteachable? If you're proud, you're unteachable. If you're humble, you're teachable. Now, here's the way it goes. If you are proud, don't invite Jesus to dinner. If you're humble, oh, absolutely, I need him. I want him. Teach me, Jesus. 
fix me, Jesus. Speak into my life and heal my life. Correct me. I want Jesus to come in and smack me around spiritually so that he can fix me because I'm going low and I need him. You see that? Now I want him in my house. Folks, it's not about being broken. All of us are broken. The only question is, are you broken and humble or broken and proud? Jesus loves the broken and humble. The broken and proud get humiliation in his presence every time. He chastises them. And so if you're broken, don't you want him to help you and fix you and speak into your life and correct you? I mean, we ought to. Now, it might hurt, but it will heal. And so if you go low, you go humble, you go teachable, Jesus is going to exalt you by transforming your life. It's beautiful. You go high, you, you go exalting yourself, you're going to experience humiliation. The cracks will form on your life. Eventually it'll crumble. Jesus doesn't want that for you. Now, the reality is that Jesus is not going to be walking through Stowe sometime soon, such that you might invite him for dinner. So how does this practically work out? I want to give you uh, one way that this can work out at times. When our church does something one way, and you would have done it another, what do you think in that moment? Do you think you have something to learn or something to teach? I love those emails. <laughs> those are great emails. What do you assume in that moment? I, I remember this from my own life. So when I graduated from college, I uh, had been involved with a campus ministry that did ministry in a very, uh, very particular way. They had a view of evangelism, discipleship, and how that would work. And you know, every good Christian would do it this way. And of course, the church wasn't doing it this way. So I uh, took the liberty at, at 20-something to sit my pastor down and tell him what he was doing wrong. And uh, let me tell you about Jeff. Jeff Pound uh, was in his 50s. He had been a missionary in the Philippines for a long time, had an amazing impact there, planted churches, got typhoid, came home because he had to health-wise, planted a church in Granville, and it just exploded and grew like crazy. I think the boy knew what he was doing. And, and yet here I am sitting him down. I, I could have learned so much in that moment, and today I'm humiliated by how I spoke into his life. <laughs> Sit down, Jeff. Let me tell you how you should run your church. After all, I'm 20-something, and I've led some Bible studies and read some blogs, so shouldn't I be the pastor? <laughs> My goodness. Go, go low. It, it, you will either embrace humility or experience humiliation. Do you have more to teach or more to learn? After all, we're not a perfect church. We got stuff to learn ourselves. We need lots of voices, but what do you assume in that moment? What do you assume? Well, that's the, the teachability issue that flows from the area of pride. Uh, but then there's another angle to this, and it's your view of people. Your view of people. So notice the Pharisees, they viewed an ox higher than a person. They'd save an ox, they wouldn't save a person, right? So how do you view people around you? Again, I want to quote Matt Chandler. He, he had some, he, I like what he wrote here. I couldn't do better. Let me show it to you. He said, do you see people? Let me ask you a better way. Do other people that you see have souls? Does the waitress that serves you at the restaurant have a soul? Is she human? Or does she only exist to take care of you? Your children's teachers, do they have souls? Your neighbors, your boss, your coworkers, that girl at the gym that swipes your card, do these people have souls? The checkout lady at the grocery store, are these people human beings? 
Later he said, it is my belief that the bulk of us see the world through lenses like the whole thing is a movie about us and everyone in it is a bit player placed there to make us better. And when that happen, doesn't happen, we get angry. I, I don't know, he nailed me. I don't know if he nailed you. But that's how, how we, so, so this issue is, this is how we view people. You gotta go low. Don't take honor, give honor away. Don't lift yourself up, lift others up. You will either embrace humility or experience humiliation. Watch how you view people. That's how this works out in this area of pride. Now, a second issue that this whole thing links to is the issue of salvation. Let's talk about that for a bit, because Jesus isn't just giving practical social advice. He's not just talking about a character issue of pride, but this whole thing is an analogy to salvation. Remember, this is a ruler of the Pharisees. We're at his house. That's a religious elite guy who assumes God must love me. After all, think how we keep the law. We even bicker about Sabbath minutia. We are really on God's team. We must get a very high seat at God's table. That's what's going on before Jesus tells this parable. Now, the question for us today is, do you think God owes you something? Do you think God's lucky to have you? By being here this morning, are you doing God a favor? I'm hooking God. I go to church to do God a favor. I serve, I give, I'm doing God a favor, really. And in that moment, we start the self-promotion. We start printing our own press about why God should really love me and why, of course, I deserve heaven. And from that, eternal humiliation is awaiting you. Remember, there's this major theme throughout all the book of Luke uh, where Jesus is welcoming in the marginalized, the outcasts, the outsiders, the excluded, the lowly. And King Jesus shows up on the scene and he establishes an upside-down kingdom where he's welcoming in all these people. So the rich and the powerful and the religious elites, they are jockeying for a position, assuming they are okay with God and they should get really high seats. In the meantime, Jesus is on them like white on rice. And, he, and they are just experiencing humiliation in his presence. Meanwhile, at the same time, Jesus welcomes in the poor. People who in that society at that time had low status, women and children. Widows, the sick, the cripple, sinners, prostitutes, thieves, traitors, on and on it goes, Samaritans and Gentiles. He's welcoming these people in. They get seats at the table of the kingdom of God. And people who thought they deserved it are shut out. And you look at that table of Jesus' friends and you go, isn't that a motley looking crew? Yeah, they don't look good. There's only one person at the table that looks good. And that's Jesus. The rest of us don't deserve to be there. The only worthy one is Christ. So you got to ask yourself, is God lucky to have you? Or are you just dumbfounded that Jesus would die for your sorry soul? I can't believe he let me in. I can't believe he claimed me and chose me. He adopted me. He made me a fellow heir with Christ. He lets me sit at that table? Are you kidding me? It's crazy. I, I'm, I don't deserve, I'm made a fellow heir. With, talk about being exalted. I'm a fellow heir with Jesus Christ. It's crazy. I want you to hear this clearly. 
Only the poor in spirit get a seat at the table of God. It has nothing to do with how much money you have. Only the poor in spirit get a, tea, a seat at the table of God. And, and so let me ask you this. Are you too, do you feel like when you're here, do you feel like you're too dirty to come to church? If that's you, you're in the right spot. And I know as you sit there, you, you look at the people on your right and left, and you think they've got their stuff together. They must be really good Christians, and you're just hoping they don't find out about all your crap. And I just tell you, I probably know them. Their crap's worse. <laughs> Way worse, right? And you know what they're doing at this moment? You're on their right, or you're on their left, and they're hoping that you don't know their crap, and they assume you've got it together. It's totally ironic. All of us are broken. None of us deserve it. In salvation, you've got to go low. You will either embrace humility or experience humiliation. This links to salvation. Now, third and last, this links to Jesus' example. Jesus is giving us a great example because he didn't just come and ask us to do it. He did it himself. He started. Think about Jesus' life. Okay, so he's born to a poor carpenter's family, right? And he's born in a stable and laid in a manger. He lives homeless. He's crucified. That's a criminal's death, a humiliating death. He's laid in a borrowed tomb because he doesn't have enough money for his own. That's Christ. This is the king of heaven who went low. That's Jesus. You look at the contrast, so you got the religious leaders who exalted themselves, who end up humiliated in the kingdom of God. But then there's Jesus, touching the untouchables, loving the broken, associating with the lowly, and none, but none throughout all history will end up more exalted than Jesus. This changes everything. You go low, you get exalted. Jesus went there first, and then he calls us as his disciples, as his children, to follow him. He set up his kingdom that way. So you look in the, in the book of Acts, which, which Luke wrote as well, and you see this church that is radical but beautiful because they went low and served each other and served the people around them. And so I want us to just be like Jesus, to know him and love him and look at him and follow him. He went low, he went humble, he laid down his life, and we should too. So we follow his example. Now I've um, hurried through some of that because I want to leave a lot of time to talk about application today. Because I'm going to back up the truck. Because this can go in so many different directions. And I want to back up the truck and give you a pile so you can pick something that you can apply to your life this week. Start out just giving you a grab bag of areas that going low. When you go low, what's that look like? What about cutting in lines? Like when you get to the airport, when you get to the checkout line, when you get to the theater, do you cut in line? Because after all, your, your time's more important than ours, right? You deserve a high seat. We deserve a low seat. See, you're exalted. Or, or do you, are you one of those people, you go in the express lane with like 20 items? Shame on you. <laughs> right? Because your time's more important than ours, right? You see, I'm exalting myself in that moment. That's what's going on. Can you go low there? Or, or what about when you approach a car with a group of friends and you're all going to get in there, what do you call out? Shotgun. What'd you just say? Best seat for me. Right? You know what you ought to say? Backseat middle. <laughs> right? Backseat middle. Ask yourself, where the heck do you think you'd find Jesus sitting? 
Backseat middle. He's not in the car. You take his spot, right? Because he gets exalted. You follow him. Backseat middle. This is who we ought to be. When you're in conversation with people, do you listen more or talk more? We're given over to talking because what I want to do, I want to focus on me. I want to exalt myself. You need to hear about me. Or can you give the gift of listening where I lift others up using my ears? Because they're desperately wanting to be heard and I can listen to them. Okay, what, you married folks, you understand I could preach a whole sermon on how going low can impact our marriages. You, you know, if we would just go low with our spouses, it would solve so much. We go in high. Bam. Every time. One specific area, what about admitting you're wrong? Apologizing. Giving a good, specific, thorough, sincere apology where I ask for forgiveness. I can't do that when I go in high. But I can when I go in low. So healing. What about when you go to work? Can you celebrate other people's success? For you students at school or in athletics, can you celebrate other people's success? Are we on a journey together where we lift each other up and that's how we succeed? Or are we competitors with each other such that I've got to tear you down to lift me up? Which is it? Go low. You will either embrace humility or experience humiliation. Now, that is just a, a grab bag of areas. But what I want to do next is apply it a little bit to our church family, to Redemption Chapel. <laughs> Okay, so my daughter is a dancer, beautiful dancer. Love watching her dance. Hate going to her dance competitions. Have you seen Dance Moms? I've seen it in person. Right? I'll tell you what, it can be the most selfish environment. Like, me first, get there before the selfish people do. Like, it's just, it's hard to watch. Let me tell you what's harder. When, when Shannon and I, we, we go to a Christian concert, or a Christian conference, and we see the same level of selfishness and even worse. Breaks my heart every time. Really makes me cry when I see that. It's just wrong. So, okay, so we do a Christian thing here every Sunday. Here's a question. What's it like in our parking lot? Right? Okay, I know parking and, and traffic can be, it's like Black Friday out there, right? Okay? That's the parking situation, but what about the attitude? You first, you park there. That's going to be, I'll go park down here. I'll park at the back. I would love it if our lot fills up on Sundays from the furthest, the, what I call the back 40, <laughs> this way. Wouldn't that be awesome? You, pull, you go, brother. You go ahead. Lift others up. I mean, what about the atrium? Like, do you open your eyes and look for people who are, seem uncomfortable and out of place and new and alienated and move toward them? Or are you too important for that? You're above them, right? Looking down on them? <laughs> what about where you sit and sit in here? I know about you back row aisle seat and seat people. I know about you. I'm coming for you, right? We love our aisle seats, don't we? Yeah, you're glad you sat somewhere else today, aren't you? I know, right? <laughs> we love our don't make me scoot over. Back seat middle. Where do you think Jesus would sit? Can we give honor and preference to other people? What about serving? When you say, hey, I'm ready to serve, can you give me the lowest job? Do you just need trash cans emptied? I'll do that. Our Lord took up the towel and basin. That's the route we ought to go. And someone I get at times is somebody who shows up and says, I's here, y'all. 
Hey, pastor, you know, I was an elder at my last church for 10 years. Yeah, and they chased you off, right? <laughs> and you're not an elder here. Well, then I'm going to go to another church. I'm sure you'll be a blessing to them. I mean, you show me a guy who takes up the towel and basin like our Lord, and I go, that guy seems like Jesus. That might be elder material right there. How do you serve a church? These are all things that can impact our family. But lastly, I want to give you just one last thought on this, and that is, uh, I, I believe this passage is loaded with implications towards race. Racial issues. Now, I understand some of you folks might get tired of me poking at this issue, uh, I have a solution for you. You'll need to find another church. In uh, the re two reasons: number one, it's all over the scriptures, and number two, it is an issue in our society. Uh, we have a painful history. I praise God for how far He has brought us. Thank you, Jesus. But at the same time, there's so much healing left to be done, and so much work left to be done. And I want the body of Christ to shine in this. And it's on the table here. Understand, Luke is writing this in an era when Jews and Gentiles were being integrated into one church. And there was racial disharmony uh, over that at times. And what happened is the Jews assumed they had a high seat at God's table and they looked down on the Gentiles. You take a back seat over there. And it just shouldn't be like that. And so this is a shot across the bow to the Jews. Now, granted, we can apply it in other areas other than race. And so when somebody comes in and they struggle with a sin that I find detestable, like no good Christian would ever do that. And I looked out, or, or their political persuasion, or maybe they're poor, or whatever. And we look, and you take a seat in the back, please. We'll let you in, because after all, you're, you're, you're at church. We have to let them in. But maybe they can sit somewhere else. Okay, yeah, so it applies to non-racial areas, I get it. But listen, racially, I don't want to duck and dodge this too much. <laughs> you understand that we actually did this, right? Like white folks, there, there's a period in American church history when we as the church, the white church, opened the doors and said, I guess we have to let the black folks in. But they can sit in the balcony. The balcony is where it was hot. The benches were harder and rougher. But we put them up there because that way we wouldn't have to see them and we wouldn't have to interact with them. Okay? You see, it's about seats at the table. And we assume that we get a high seat and our darker brothers and sisters get a low seat. But you understand, in that very moment, we were admitting that they're human. We didn't let livestock in church. We're saying they're human. They got souls they're Christians, and they're brothers and sisters of ours. Now get your butt to the balcony. Oh. I just, I want you to think back over this passage. And I want you to think, how did our Lord feel in that moment? When he looked down on us doing that, can you just imagine what he must have felt in that moment? Oh, have mercy, Lord. Have mercy. We can't avoid this stuff because, look, we will either go with humility or we will experience humiliation. We've got to address it. And I want to be a church. I want this to be a place that gives honor to those in our culture to whom honor was denied for far too long. And you'll notice in this room, there is no balcony. 
And I want us to be a people that goes out into our culture and we extend honor to those who in our culture have been denied honor for far too long. It rubs up against this area of race. Now, of course, not only that. I've given you a whole mountain of different areas where we can apply this. Perhaps too much. But I want you to grab some. In fact, uh, go ahead and do me a favor. Bow your heads, close your eyes for a moment. And as you think through all these various areas of potential application, I want you to grab one in your heart right now. Here's the question. Will you go low this week? Don't give me an abstract, oh, sure, pastor. No, I mean, how? Of all those things I mentioned, like, what are you going to grab onto? What are you going to do this week? Because if you don't embrace humility, you will experience humiliation. I want you to go low. And Father, we come before you as your assembled church, your family. Here by grace, none of us deserve to be at this table. You are high, you are holy, you are lifted up, and down here the ground's very, very level. And I want to thank you for allowing us to come to your table. Father, I pray that you would start to work in our lives, that we would go low in all various different kind of situations. Teach us, train us, Lord, so that your church would shine, so that your gospel would shine, so that your glory would shine through us, please. Take us there, I ask in Christ's name. Amen.